Warning, the following podcast contains mature content. Listener discretion is advised. Before I got this Aftermath episode started, I just wanted to kind of give you guys an update as to where we were with the Addicted series, where the jury room is, and all that good stuff. So I figured I would take the time to say hello. Welcome to the show if you're new. This is more of like a little announcement. If you're a returning listener, thank you for supporting the show. I appreciate you, and I'm glad that you've been along on this journey. With that being said, I'm going to take the next two weeks off from posting any content as far as true crime content. I have a couple of collaboration episodes that I did, one with Alex, which you'll hear today on her show, and I did another one with the Crime Time Nerds where we discussed the heist And so I'm really excited to release those two for the next two Saturdays. With that being said, I will be posting a true crime episode on April 30th. And then the introduction to Addicted will come out on May 1st. That'll be kind of the schedule for that. So I'm going to be planning on releasing two episodes a week. One will be a true crime episode and the other will be an Addicted episode. I've got interviews, I've got the the historical episodes, so it's going to kind of alternate like it has been already. With that being said, I am so excited for you guys to start consuming that content. It has been a very exciting journey. I've met a ton of people and talked to many different people through different walks of life, and I'm just really excited for you guys to start hearing that content. So let me know if you guys have any questions, concerns, comments, leave me some feedback, whatever it is. Send me an email, jerryroompodcast at gmail.com. And as always, stay safe and thanks for listening. Yeah, Minnesota. Because you have to say Minnesota with a Minnesota accent or else why, why bother? Yeah, what you talking about, bud? Hello, and welcome to the jury room, where we dissect some of the most heinous, some of the most unthinkable, and some of the most monstrous crimes to ever scar the earth. From cannibalistic serial killers to decades-old unsolved mysteries, these stories are sinister enough to keep you up at night. Welcome back to another Aftermath episode. On this episode, we are going to be discussing the complete and utter trash human being that is John Edward Robinson. But before we get there, I'm excited because I have a guest today, but I'm excited that she's here for an Aftermath episode. It's been a long time coming. Alex, welcome to the show. Why don't you introduce yourself, your show, your podcast, tell them all about you. Hello. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. At first, I thought you were going to say... Somebody, I'm having somebody on the show that's not trash, 
And I was like, like about to sit here and be like astonished because I mean, I feel kind of trashy right now. I don't know why, but it is what it is. So I, I appreciate the very nice intro. Thank you. And uh, yeah, you are the <laughs> trash bag that I love. That is Alex. There we go. How about that? Is that I am. Yes, I am the inspiration behind that one Katy Perry, Perry lyric. Do you ever feel like a plastic bag? I was the plastic bag. It was me. Hi. Hello. Introduce your show and your podcast and we can get this dumpster fire going. Yes. Okay. So I am one of the hosts of Weird Distractions podcast. Uh, my co-host, Christy, and I get together every week and we talk about, you know, a true crime case, paranormal story, maybe a folklore story, conspiracy theory, just kind of whatever most people would consider weird. And we, yeah, we just kind of get together between two friends with two mics that we decided to buy online one day. But uh, no, it's basically a good way for us to kind of take a moment, get a distraction from whatever we need a distraction from. Usually it's work because we both work in healthcare, which, you know, thanks to coronavirus is an ongoing dumpster fire. Um, but yeah, it's been two, almost two years going. So you can find us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, good pods, Google podcasts. It's, you know, obviously we take the serious things seriously, but we like to sometimes approach certain topics with a little bit of humor. Um, and yeah, that's, it's kind of weird distractions in a nutshell. I feel like that was a very chill bro way to describe it. I don't know why I went that route, but here we are. <laughs> what inspired you guys to get into podcasting? Um, so I had really wanted to start podcasting a bit before we actually started. I was really into, um, you know, and that's why we drink wine and crime. Just basically I liked the macabre and morbid stuff with a little bit of humor and I just kept thinking I could do that. You know, I, I can be kind of funny. I like talking about, you know, historical places or, you know, true crime cases, this, that, and the other. And I really just wanted to do it. Like I thought, hell, if these people can do it, maybe I could do it. So Christy and I went on a trip in January of 2020, like right before the world closed. And during the trip, I thought, wow, this is somebody that I trust wholeheartedly. Um, somebody that is interested in the same things I'm interested in and, you know, like she's my best friend. So when the world did go to shit, um, and we had a lot more time on our hands in the sense of we weren't able to hang out as much, we weren't able to travel, we weren't able to really do much. We, I, I texted her, I was like, Hey, so I really think it'd be cool if we started a podcast. Just, you know, what do you think? And she's like, yeah, sure. And we kind of went back and forth about what to talk about because we both agreed that we want to do something true crime-ish because that's where like our mutual interest is. But then, of course, me being me, I, I want to talk about ghosts and, you know, creepy stuff and weird things. And so Christy tolerated because she's my friend and she tolerates a lot of things I do and say. So, yeah, that's kind of how Weird Distractions kind of came about. And that's kind of how that kind of started. And, you know, I, I think I'd said we've been doing it for almost two years now. So we've kind of learned, a, well, we've learned a lot about podcasting. We learned about things that we like doing, things we don't like doing. Um, and we've covered a lot of really weird paranormal cases, a lot of really intense true crime cases, a lot of cases neither of us had heard of, which 
I was saying before we started recording is why I appreciate your show because you do a good mixture of both of, you know, the heavy hitters of, you know, true crime cases that a lot of people know, but also cases that many people don't, including today's episode, which I have never heard of this individual before. So when I was listening to your episode, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Who is this person? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I had never heard of him either. And so that's one of those things that I tend to try to, to, to mix it up. And like you said, just throw in the big names, but also, you know, cover these more heinous people, in my opinion, and that, you know, that need, you know, they need their, the victims need their story covered. And it's, it's a sad, it's a sad reality. A thousand percent. And that's kind of what we've really been focusing on more because when we started, we kind of made a mute, well, we made a pact that we weren't going to cover certain cases such as, you know, school shootings just because Ted Bundy. Yeah, Ted Bundy. Fuck Bundy. Um, but we just didn't want to cover, there were certain cases we didn't want to cover and those were kind of the main two, right? Like school shootings and, um, you know, that might change. Who knows? Probably, eh, I don't know. And, you know, Ben uh, Bundy, Dahmer, Manson, all those ones, just because in the process of this podcast, too, we've learned so much that we've kind of used this as our way to keep educating ourselves about what's going on or what has happened in the world. I mean, as mentioned, we both work in healthcare. We sometimes don't get a moment to really focus on what's happening because we're focusing on you know, aspects of our jobs that we need to be up to date with. Right. And so the podcast has become, I mean, personally, because I present all the cases and everything, a really nice way to devote time to actually learn about something completely different that I had no idea existed before. Right. Um, whether it's, you know, a haunted location or a folklore tale or, you know, a conspiracy theory or a missing persons case, right? Like uh, we recently covered a missing persons case that literally is maybe an hour, two hour away, like that happened two hours away from us in our county. And it's, you know, when I was presenting it to Christy, when we were done recording, she's like, I've never heard of that case. I'm like, I know, neither have I. It's shit that's in our backyard that we never hear about because, well, whatever reason, right? So I definitely, I, I, I like the side of podcasting where it's the kind of ability to continuously educate yourself without having to necessarily pay, you know, 10 grand a year to go to school. And it's things that you actually want to learn about, right? Or you want to understand better as opposed to biology or fucking geometry or something. What's the craziest paranormal case that you've covered? Oh, um, that's a toughie. I would have to say the Edinburgh vaults. Um, so they are the, it's like kind of like a underground tunnel, but like with a bunch of different pathways and they're, they're each pathway or each tunnel has its own kind of like separate room. Like they're, they're these long underground rooms. Let's just put it that way. And there was so much death and tragedy that occurred from the very beginning of the existence of the vaults that, I mean, right off the bat, even before you get talking about the paranormal reports, you're like, oh, yeah, this place just seems like it has like a dark vibe to it, so to speak, right? And 
when I was doing my research, I got kind of freaked out a little bit because it's just, you know, you're underground, you are in the dark primarily, and there's reports of, you know, apparitions appearing, you know, people following you, people touching your back, people grabbing the back of your neck, you know, hearing voices in places in the tunnel that you shouldn't hear voices. It's just, yeah, it's very eerie. I mean, I, I, if, if I could, if I could, I would quit my day job and become a paranormal investigator, hands down. Like, if, if I had the opportunity, I would, but obviously I can't because, you know, bills. <laughs> and, but yeah, that would be one place that I think would really spook me out. There's a couple of other that we, couple of others that we've covered that, definitely are pretty creepy but that one that one always stands out to me i think just because it's underground it's so dark and mysterious and it's so old like i think it dates back to i want to say the 17th century so the 17th century yeah mm-hmm. i could be wrong i'd have to relook oh, in the notes God, but so long ago it, i know right so there's definitely a lot going on there that's for sure and what's the craziest true crime case you've covered um, I mean, I always go back to the crimes of Samuel Little only because I'm still baffled that nobody, like no police force called another police force and said, hey, like we've had a lot of people come up, you know, dead recently. And just wondering if you're kind of experiencing the same thing, like the lack of communication for decades allowed for this man to go about and literally just cause chaos and havoc wherever he went. And, you know, he did have interactions with the justice system for, you know, I think it was like thefts and petty crimes and stuff like that. But he was full blown just murdering people left, right and center. Like, well, and by, by people, I mean, he was murdering women, women of color primarily. And, you know, I believe some of them, if memory serves me right, were sex workers. So that also is just kind of an atrocity within itself, because of course, the second that you mentioned a woman, you know, someone identifying as a woman, as black, practicing sex work. Yeah. You know, it just, exactly. It's unfortunately, it's a triple whammy type situation. Exactly. Exactly. So that one was definitely very intense and the Roxbury murders in, um, Oh gosh, I think they're near Boston. That, that research took me so long because for every victim, I would find more information, more like it just kept bubbling up. But then the details were always a little murky and it's just a shame because it, once again, it was another situation where, you know, it was black women. Some of them were sex workers. It was during a very racially charged time and police just didn't seem to care. And to me as an empath, I'm like, how the fuck do you just go to work and just not give a shit that people like that people are dying. Right. Little you know, and why not women sex workers? That's, that's the MO though. in a lot of true crime cases is that the whole sex worker thing definitely adds that layer of, well, they don't give a fuck. And then if you added a minority, especially in earlier times, like, you know, way times, whatever the fuck I'm trying to say. Yeah. I know exactly <laughs> what you're trying to say. Yep. <laughs> um, that they didn't give a shit. And then you had a woman on top of it. Now, if it was a, if it was a blonde 
paled skin white woman. No offense, Alex, but you. If, if, if it was me, oh, right. a thousand percent. Like I know how much privilege I have in the sense of if I was to go missing, I know my face would be plastered everywhere. If I was black, if I was a sex worker, if I was part of any kind of defined minority, I'd be fucked. Like no one would look for me. And that's what gets me. When we started kind of tackling those cases, I remember telling Christy, you know, this, when we started this podcast, we were doing it for fun, but now I'm finding myself so charged because I want to talk about how stupid these people are in the sense of you're telling your fellow person, you're telling your fellow human that you don't care enough about them because they don't look like you or because they're doing this or because they're doing that. Like to me, it's, I mean, I could go on. I, I won't, but it's just, it's, it really sparks something in me. And that's, I think what a lot of us true crime podcasters from, I mean, from the podcast I've listened to and interacted with, especially in the true crime community, you know, that's what kind of keeps us going, right? It's those cases where, the injustice is just piling on nonstop and nobody's talking about it or they're talking about it once here and there and then that's it. Right. Yeah. That's one thing like you, I, I've learned a considerably amount since I've been podcasting. And one of the things that I've learned and I've talked about it many times and I will talk about it till I'm fucking blue in the face, but is I didn't realize what it was like for a woman just not a, not a woman of color, not a woman of, you know, being a sex worker, but just being a woman, going to your car, going to fucking the grocery store, going anywhere. Like I had no idea. And still to this day, it just, it blows my mind because, and that's that bubble that we encase ourselves in, right? Like it's the whole, well, I don't have that problem. So nobody else does, you know what I mean? Like I don't, I'm, I'm a white fucking male. Like I don't I have all the privilege in the fucking world. I, I'm not going to get raped or robbed on my way to my car. It's just, it's not going to happen. And so it's one of those things that doing the podcast has definitely taught me, you know, just like you, it's taught me that there is a whole bunch of people out there that are misre misrepresented, misunderrepresented, or you get, you know, like you were talking about, police forces who just don't give a shit because they and half the police force is probably fucking the sex workers anyways right so it's not yeah. even like they're they're completely against it it's just taboo right well it they're they're not against it when it suits their benefit they're only against it when others are looking right and that goes with a lot of different things it's well behind closed doors it's that notion that I can do whatever I want when no one's looking, but the second that the the, the rest of society is looking, I'm not going to be about that. And to, to your point, I know, to, to your point about just being a woman in general, um, I don't know if it's because I listen to way too much true crime and ingest way too much true crime and spooky stuff, but I, in broad daylight, I will walk in a parking lot with my key in between my fingers and it's not because I like, I'm lucky to say that I've never been assaulted, but I also know that I'm a woman and I, I don't know if that, if that, if that will ever change. Like if I can, if I, for the rest of my life, if I can say I've never been assaulted before. However, I also know that not many women 
have that luxury to do that and to be like, oh yeah, I do that. It's it's whatever, right? And I do that because of what I've heard, not because I've experienced it before. So I, I acknowledge that. And, you know, I think it's just one of those things where the more we talk about certain cases or just in general talk about true crime, it's not because it's a wow factor. I mean, yeah, there is a little bit of that in it. I think we'd, we'd be remiss not to acknowledge that. But I think also it provides a certain level of education and acknowledgement that we as humans are still considerably animals to a certain degree in the sense that your fellow human cannot necessarily always be trusted. And that that is one thing I've learned about this podcast, like about true crime and just humanity in general is you really can't trust people. And, you know, especially when it comes to people like John Edward Robson, like, I'm sorry, this guy went so long without really being suspected for anything, even though he's, you know, committing frauds, doing this, like all these scams, and then things escalated and still no one really batted an eye. And I think that's been a huge learning piece too, is you never know who the person you're staying beside truly is. That's true. And it's even when you're with somebody like that goes for like your relationships, like when you live with somebody for extended periods of time, whether it be a partner, a friend, a family member that isn't your immediate family, you don't know who they are. You don't know what their skeletons are. Like you could live with somebody who's a killer and not even know it. Yeah, basically. And I think that is the scariest thing. It's it's one like, it's definitely unsettling, but it's also a little bit of, okay. So the more we talk about these certain cases, can we learn more about what, like kind of what the red flags are? Right. And like, if there are any red flags, I mean, for some folks like Samuel Little, for example, homeboy was covered in red flags, but yet I don't know if it was because of the time or the fact that, you know, different police forces weren't connecting with one another, but he was a roaming red flag and no one really picked up on it until, you know, the very, very end. Right. Um, And it was like, Oh, whoops, my bad. Yeah, basically. And you know, I, I shit on the cops a lot, human error, right? Like I'm not saying that they're all shitty people, but you know, every where there's every smoke, group there's of people, fire, right? Yeah, when there's smoke, there's fire, and every group has at least one or two assholes in it that just don't give a shit. And unfortunately, you see that in a lot of different professions. So, not for any cops listening, I'm not primarily shitting on you, but I'm just saying you probably have some asshole friends. But yeah, so John Edward Robinson, as you said, you hadn't really heard of him before. You Ew. are. You're, I don't want to say your age on air, but you're in your 20s still, right? Yes, I am 28. So were you in the, were you around during the internet age of AOL and AOL Instant Messenger? Like it was right on that cost, right? Yeah. So I grew up with like MSN. Oh yeah. Um, I was, I'm a little too young for my space. Like I think I like just kind of got on like in between, Um, but yeah, so when I was reading into it and seeing that he used the internet as like his eventual way to get victims, it was like, but what what year was this? Hold on, wait a minute. Come again? Like it was very interesting. And, you know, it's definitely you see him evolve as a criminal, right? I mean, 
he started off embezzling and just being an absolute scam um, scammer. And then as I, I don't know if maybe he just got bored or if he just, I don't know if maybe there was an itch he needed to scratch, but didn't know how, but then he escalated to like full blown murder. And the way he went about finding his victims also kind of changed too. Right. So I think that also could add to why he was so hard to cap like capture what are your thoughts on that i definitely think the internet was the wild wild west back then right there wasn't as much um ways to trace somebody you couldn't trace their ip address you know or they didn't know how you know what i mean um back in the day you know the the aol chat rooms were rampant for under you know for underage people such as myself to you know talk to anybody and that was you know it was very much like it connected the world in a way that we had never seen before and of course a lot of sick ass people like this guy came out of the woodworks and the other thing too the other aspect of this case is is the and i put this in huge quotations but the taboo of the bdsm community right and that in the 90s and and it still hasn't gotten it's still not much better now but the bdsm community is a very much a frowned upon community you know what i mean they how could you how could you like to get hit or how could you like to be you know do all this choked or you know tied up or all this shit and it's like but at the same time these are consenting adults like i don't that's a whole nother conversation and tangent that we can get off on. But he kind of preyed on his victims like a child molester would do. Right. So he went for people who, who can't really fight for themselves, women, and he can't fight and people who aren't going to say anything because, well, it's the BDSM community, right? They don't want to be outed as being a part of the BDSM community. You know what I mean? So, what are your thoughts on the whole stereotype and taboo around the BDSM community? I fucking hate it. Um, only because I think I think this is just kind of like another reflection of humanity. Whenever we don't understand something, we tend to bash it, right? And I think that goes for a lot of different things. But when it comes to those quote unquote taboo things, such as, you know, uh, BDSM or, you know, aggressive sex or anything like that, people especially don't take the time to actually learn about it because the like the second you mention, you know, oh, it's sexual in nature, people are like, oh my God, I don't want to talk about it. It's like, oh my freaking God, how do you think you got here? Your parents bumped uglies and now you're born. Like, you know, they might not have got all, you know, BDSM about it, but they did do something. Um, And I think because of that, because there's that conversation revolving around sex and, you know, how people typically avoid talking about it, you have a bunch of uneducated and unwilling to be educated folks that just kind of want to shut it down because I don't know, they just don't understand potentially. And there's another layer where they think, or maybe this is me speculating that people are thinking, but I, I I've heard and seen things where 
there's like a camp of people that think, well, BDSM is a part of Satanism. And if you, if you do this, then you're just saying that you're, you're a Satanist. And it's like, my fucking God, not everything is related to Satan, Karen. Tone it down 10 notches. And not only that, but Satanism isn't what I think everybody thinks it is. We talked about it on our show too, where people think Satanism is, you know, sacrificing goats and children and, you know, having bloodbaths and shit. And it's really not like if you actually look into what Satanism is, it's basically more so like an acceptance of all. And there's a lot of different, I mean, I'm like not even skimming, like I'm just barely touching the top of this, but it's, it's actually a very, I don't want to say understandable, but it's a very like simple religion in the sense of, just don't be a dick. Like that's my understanding of it. And it doesn't have this many layers of, oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. It's, uh, hey, just don't, you know, the fact that it's called Satanism doesn't necessarily mean that it's, you know, 666, death metal. Uh, we're going to kill some children. You know, Like it has nothing to do with that. But because of what it is and because people don't want to educate themselves because God forbid, um, you know, you, you get these sp- speculations and because of things like that you have people who don't really understand then disrespect it because they don't really want to give the time to understand it right i don't know about you growing up but i definitely did not have the sex conversation my mom i my mom was a single parent and so she was deathly afraid of that conversation and i never got it and so i don't understand why we as a society, a society that we, something that we need, right? It's not even like, not that we need it like air, but it's something that's a part of our human nature that we don't talk about it more. You know what I mean? A thousand percent. Yeah. And, you know, it's such a normal part of humanity, but yet because of whatever, I mean, there's probably plethora of reasons, but we kind of dance around it until you're even a certain age. And even then, like, you know, as a grown adult woman, I know there's times where my friends and I will kind of like dance around the topic, but we never really talk about it. And that's not because, you know, we, we don't want to, it's just, I don't know. It's just like this weird Do we talk about it? Do we not talk about it? Do we say it? Like we, you know, do we really get in detail about it? Do we not? Do we just pretend that this didn't, happen like it's very it's it's really hard and i think that is because we are part of a generation and a society where we don't talk about it it's that like new song that i keep hearing people or seeing people tweet about we don't talk about bruno well we don't talk about sex like we're getting better i think as a society in terms of talking about it i mean there's podcasts like call her daddy and god knows so many others but I'm going to say I've never seen a BDSM podcast. And I think that's something that would actually be beneficial in the sense of providing education as to what BDSM is. What is the culture around it? What is the subcultures? You know, what are, what are the taboos within a taboo? Right? Like, I think think you found your new niche podcast. Oh God, please. No. (laughs) (laughs) And I say that not being disrespectful, but I don't think I can add another, project on my goddamn plate (laughs) 
I will have a breakdown. <laughs> so one of the things I was thinking about while you were talking about earlier was the fact that we don't talk about like rough sex and BDSM sex and stuff like that. But I, and I know that the BDSM community hates it, but I think it also brought it to the forefront, but 50 shades of gray, I think started that conversation for women because you can see now more that women are expressing to the fact that a, they either, you know, like that forcefulness or they like to be choked or, you know, light BDSM, you know, activities, nothing crazy, but that's something was something 10, 15 years ago that was almost unheard of. It was like a fucking myth. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And I mean, props to the author props to, you know, Hollywood, because essentially if Hollywood says it's okay, it's okay. Do you know what I mean? Like if there's a movie about it, you're, it's good. You know, you're, you're fine. Now you can talk about it more. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's almost like the stamp of approval. And so, you know, when it comes to the time that Johnny boy or, uh, the slave master, I guess we could call him at some point, even though it makes me want to throw up in my mouth. Uh, when he was, you know, perusing the internet, looking for his victims, we didn't have 50 shades of gray. We didn't have, you know, the little bit of acceptance that we do have about the BDSM community in 2022. We were in a very, you know, hush, hush. You don't say, you know, we don't talk about Bruno <laughs> kind of time going on. And so I think because of that, he did, he, he, he really preyed on, um, you know, a victim profile that, really was being unheard of and really not seen. Well, yeah, because his victims were, were pledging their allegiance to him, right? That whole slave master that makes you want to throw up. And I'm sure you just did a little bit as I said that, but the, they were going along with it with complete and dying loyalty that ended up, he ended up taking advantage of it, you know, and that's what gives these communities, bad names, right? It's just like Satanism. A couple of people kill in the name of Satan. Oh my God, you have the satanic panic in the 80s. I know. Yeah. It's the second that you add some kind of true crime mix to it, it always gets mis like uh, mixed up and always mix, uh, misrepresented, right? So I think because of that, it makes it harder for people to want to educate themselves because they're like, oh, well, if you're in BDSM, you're just going to end up being murdered. Or, oh, if you are a Satanist or you're not, you know, this, that, or the other, you're just going to end up, I don't know, killing goats or something, right? Like, it's very, you know, it's very extreme. And I think humanity has always been like that. It's it's never gray. It's always black or white. And I will say, I mean, in 2022, I think we are slowly in some areas, high, like highlight some areas, becoming Asterisk a little bit more. 10. Yeah, 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 exactly. We're, we're getting a little bit more gray in conversations so that we could hopefully, you know, have different opinions without being completely ostracized about it or, you know, completely however you want to put it but <laughs> i know what it's, you're trying to say i got thank you thank you i appreciate it yeah I, as soon as i said i'm like that's not how you that's say not, it that's not that's not how you say it that's not <laughs> the correct <laughs> word right now mm -mm, well i mm -mm. think i think the only fans has helped bring this conversation more to a forefront too because 
the reality is, is that OnlyFans has opened that sex worker avenue for them to be able to work legally. The crazy part about sex work is if you fucking film it, it's called porn. I seen this uh, Family Guy guy Family Guy sketch that sketch that I was just like, holy shit! Some cops bust into a hotel room, and you know they're he's getting ready to pay her, and they're like, oh, you're a pro- you're a prostitute. We're arresting you. And then he's like, no, we're filming it. It's porn. And I'm like, yeah, it's true. It's Damn, so true. true. And it's so weird that pornography is so much more socially acceptable than sex work. But re- in reality, like in my mind, I classify them as the same because you're, you're still, you're still having sex. Like something sexual is happening and you're still working. Right. Like, you know, I mean, I could be totally wrong and I, you know, I, more than likely am but that's how i perceive that so to me to hyper value pornography over sex work it's to me it's like well it's it's all work and it's all sex well it's not all sex but do you know what i mean like it's very much like why value one higher than the other it doesn't and most politicians who are telling us we can't sleep with prostitutes not you know what i mean are the ones who are sleeping with escorts exactly Right? Like, how many politicians have been busted with, oh, so-and-so paid an escort, so-and-so paid for this, so-and-so paid, you know what I mean? So it's it's just, I don't know, man, the whole, that whole sex worker conversation we can talk about for hours. Well, and just to kind of like wrap it up, you know, I I think to belittle somebody because they do sex work is absolutely fucking stupid. Because at the end of the day, you are literally you are literally telling someone that they are doing something that is literally putting food on the table. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that, you know, what am I trying to say? I'm basically saying that it's stupid to degrade someone based on what they're doing for work, because at the end of the day, we're all just feeding into the same capitalism wheel and trying to make it to the end of the week. Right. So why, why judge somebody for, trying to get by how they can when in reality that's all we're doing we're just doing it in different professions and sex work is a profession like i'm sorry there's a lot of work that has to go into it because you have to look look a certain way you have to buy certain like i i mean i couldn't do it because i don't have physique stamina or the mental capacity to do it (laughs) period not only that, but I'm so tired and every time my stomach hurts. So like, I know I couldn't do it. So I applaud, you know, the people that do do it because I, I can understand how physically, emotionally, and spiritually draining that can be. And they're doing it because they're trying to, like everybody else, just get through the week, feed their family, you know, pay bills, pay fucking student loans because student loans are so goddamn expensive. So yeah, it's, you know, the, the type of victim that, you know, Robinson picked on and that little picked on and that like a bunch of other, you know, serial killers and pieces of shit out there picked on. Yeah. You know, it, it's unfortunate. And that's where, you know, we see the cops, you know, we see officials not necessarily picking, you know, focusing on because of many reasons. I, I did want to ask you, what were your thoughts? Because I, when I was listening to your episode and when I was doing my own research, like into the slave master, um, at one point, so he got connected to Isabella, uh, Luica, 
So she was 21 years old at the time. And apparently she signed a 115 item slave contract that gave him, John, yeah, how, okay, in your, like, I was really confused. Like, I had to read that a couple times because I was like, was that legal? Was, like, it notarized? How does, how does one... <laughs> That's a good, like, really good question. Like, what, 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 what? I mean, he just seems so... Con- like, he seems like a very convincing man, which obviously, you know, he, he got away with a lot without really serving any hard time. Um, but how... How? I think it's one of those things that within a BDSM relationship, you know what I mean? There's that... There is a a dominant, you know what I mean, that is in control. Not all the time, and people switch, and I, I get all that, right? But most of the time, there is one person who is kind of in control. But it's crazy because most of the time, submissives are, are in more control than, than a dominant, right? Even though the dominant is in control, really the submissive can take the control away at any time. A good dominant, right? So with that being said, I think it's one of those things that it was just a part of that lifestyle. It was a part of that culture for them. You know what I mean? And he thought, oh, if I get her to sign this contract, I can do whatever I want. And that's where a lot of people within the BDSM, that's what a lot of people, like a lot of people use the BDSM community for control and not for what it actually is. You know, it's for two consenting. They think you're, oh, they, I can just treat a woman like shit and I'm that makes me a dominant, you know what I mean? But that's mm-hmm. not, that's not how that's it not works. That's not what it really is. Right. Exactly. So I think it was just kind of the dynamic that he was going for of, Oh, I'm going to get her to completely submit to me. And that'll, you know, that'll prove to me that I'm in control. Do you think he was like that because of his childhood? Because I remember that his dad was, no, his dad was an alcoholic and his mom was very strict. So that kind of makes me wonder if he felt he never really had a lot of control as a child. I mean, when you have an unstable parent and then a very like strict parent, you're kind of at a mishmash of parenting styles, I'm going to assume and speculate on, right? Do you think that has anything or that could play into him going into the BDSM community and seeking control. I mean, that without way. a doubt, it probably had a play into it, right? He probably thought that he he probably felt out of control as a child, right? Because he didn't know what to expect with his dad and his mom was overbearing, right? And so he probably used that as an excuse to be able to gain full control over somebody under the guise of, well, you're my slave or you're my submissive, you know, you, you are the person that I'm in control of to kind of further that, to be able to control everything in his life. Because usually people who come from, not all people, and I'm not saying everybody, but people who usually come from controlling backgrounds tend to want to control everything. You know, they want to have control over everything, especially when they feel out of control as a kid, you just really need, it's like a physical urge to want to be able to control everything and you can't, right. That's just not physically possible. And so I definitely think that played into it. I think it played into his wanting to find these women, 
wanting to take people who were in air quotes, quote unquote, less desirable because they were in the BDSM community and he could just prey on them. So I, I, I tend to think, yes. What's your take on that? I think so too. I mean, I know when it comes to alcoholism and parenting, there's a lot of inconsistencies, which can cause a lot of anxiety early on um, in children. And I'm saying that as like a, like a mental health professional, as well as like a, a kid that grew up with an alcoholic parent, right? Like, so I do have some lived experience in that sense. Um, and I think that does kind of, or could manifest later on to be somebody who always needs to be in control. And so I think that's why he kind of always seemed to be doing a little bit of something sketchy on the side, because no matter what was going on in his life, that might have been, you know, kind of, I don't want to say mundane, but kind of like average, like, oh, got married, had kids, whatever. He kind of needed to have a little bit more control outside of that, right? So even though it was mundane things that could make somebody feel like they're in control of their life you want more, you want more, you want to kind of test and push the limit because you want to see what else is kind of out there for you. Um, but that also segues into, do you think his wife knew? Because when I was reading and listening to in this case, I was like, oh, did she know? Did she know? Like, what's going on about her? Because she was along, like, they were together for Almost 50 years, right? Like a while. I I always go back and forth on this question, right? Because there's so many partners, not just women, but partners, right? Men and women who don't realize that their spouse is killing. That's true, yeah. At the same time, like, did you know? And you were just kind of like, like turning a blind eye to it and not. Like, were you in denial about it? Like, I I don't know about you, but like, I've lived with people, you know, for years and it's hard to get away from that person. Like that person is, that's their home. That's your home. Like you you guys live together. If that person disappears for fucking days or an extended period of time and there's like a bullshit excuse when they come back, you're going to start like, were you really doing that or were exactly. you, doing, you know what I mean? So, and, yeah. and, that, and that was also to the, to that credit to that time. And I hate saying that, but in that time we didn't have cell phones and we didn't have pagers and you know, all that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. We didn't have, you know, track your iPhone or you know, we didn't have <laughs> snap maps or anything right. like that. So it's definitely a lot harder. I, I was kind of in the same boat because part of me thought, she fucking knew she had to have known she would have had like she had to you know but then there's the other part of me that also knows in previous cases that you know i've heard about or we've covered on weird distractions like sometimes they really just don't know like they have no idea and it's not because they're ignorant or you know they're in la la land it's because the person that they're with aka the perpetrator is just a really good manipulator and really good at lying And that's the crazy part too, is a lot of these serial killers and I mean, it wouldn't be a true crime episode, right? Because we wouldn't be talking about them, but a lot of them are, are good manipulators. They know how to play the system and they know how to not most of them, but know how to imitate emotions and 
you know what to say to be able to put your mind at ease and you know to be able to talk their way out of anything and it's just one of those things that i think I don't know, man. I, I don't know how his wife wouldn't know. I, I truly believe deep down inside somewhere she knew. And I think it it's just that time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, it's hard to say, right? Because I think, I mean, if I was in that situation, I don't even know how I'd react, right? Like if my partner was out, well, first of all, if he was sneaking around, he... He'd be dead. Um, <laughs> bet. <laughs> like, I'm very, I'm not a very strong woman, but in a fit of rage, you never Anybody's know. Nobody's capable of anything. I, I'll be your alibi. Yeah. I got you. Thank you. I was recording with Kevin. What, what are you talking, talking about? about? We have we had a whole three-hour conversation. Exactly. Kevin, okay. I was on for five hours. I, we were talking for five hours. It's fine. Five. You know, time flies right, right. when you're having fun with a friend. Right. <laughs> My <course>. bad. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. But yeah, I I wouldn't know how to respond if I knew. So, I mean, on one hand, it's like, uh, she might have known, but she might have just been trapped because, I mean, if she did, hypothetically, if she didn't know, if she knew about the women, if she knew about, you know, him placing the bodies and drums and, you know, what have you, um, maybe she was afraid. I mean, they had kids. I'd be petrified. And that that's part of the thing, too, is that I think a lot of these women know but they're afraid. And so they push it down to a dark, deep recess. Our, our, the human mind is amazing. And the things that it will hide from you, you know what I mean? Especially oh, when, thousand percent. when you know that you're potentially saving someone's life, you know, being your kids or your own. So I truly think that maybe it was a thing of where she was scared of, scared of him and she didn't want him to kill her because because not only was he killing these women, but then he was getting them to sign a bunch of those papers and sending the families letters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is also just an extra layer of like, ooh, Ugh, I don't like that. Right. I don't like that. It's very controlling and it's very manipulative and it's very, it's very on brand for somebody who I just feel as though he probably lived in a constant state of not feeling in control and whether that is a byproduct of his childhood or of whatever reason being, he just seems like this individual who just never has really felt control unless he was doing, you know, criminal acts. Right. And to me, it's like, Oh, I just wonder what it would happen if, you know, whether mental health supports, if they would have been interjected at a young age. I mean, mind you, he also sounds like he didn't really maybe show signs as a, as a kid um, too much. So that, you know, maybe mental health supports weren't even considered, but I remember reading somewhere, didn't he get kicked out of, uh, was it priest school or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And it's like, Okay, well, that's a red flag. That's another red flag, yo. You know, and... (laughs) But even then, you know, given the time and the era and, you know, mental health supports and everything like that and stigmatization around mental health, I'm not surprised that, you know, an, an intervention probably didn't happen. 
I just wonder what would have happened. Like, would we have even been talking about him today if supports weren't provided, right? Like if a little, little bit of cognitive behavioral therapy was given to him, would we be talking about him? A little bit of, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, even if there was, would he have done what he did? And I think that's something we will never know. And I think when it comes to this dude, there's a lot of things we're never going to know, even though he's still kicking, which is very frustrating in my mind. Well, he's very narcissistic when it comes to that, right? He just wants, he doesn't want to tell anybody the information. He doesn't want to, you know, give the family's closure. Like how many more people did he kill? What about the ones that got away, right? Like there's, there's gotta be the, cause they always build up to it. You know what I mean? They always build up to that first kill. Who did he, who did he try to kill before? Yeah. Who did people? he attack? Right. And you know, got away. Right. It's the same. Um, I was just talking with Dom from the whorehouse podcast about uh, the murder of Claire Tiltman and the perpetrator or the convicted perpetrator, Colin Ash Smith. He had attacked, I believe it was two women before Claire was murdered. And this individual from the UK, you know, was writing in his journal about, you know, all these attacks he wanted to do. Like he, he was planning, he was organized. He was, you know, okay, on this date, I'm going to do this, that, and the, like he planned this kind of shit. And, you know, he's still alive today. He's still kicking as well. Is there more that hasn't been said yet? Is there more crimes? Because you have to wonder, okay, you don't just randomly go in. I mean, there are cases like that where people unfortunately just kill in, in a blink of an eye without planning or anything like that. But there is, has to be more victims that John just isn't saying. And he also is, has never really, I think, confessed to where some of the victims that he has confessed to or he has been convicted of where their bodies are, which is no, another layer of bullshit because it's like, dude, come on. Like uh, The least you could do as a human being for another human being is to just tell their families where they are so they could have at least a proper burial. Because that's such a thing, right? Like, it's such a bitch move, right, on his part. Like, to be able to take a plea deal, recognizing this motherfucker wouldn't even admit guilt, right? Even though he's 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 already been convicted of murder, he's taking a plea deal say, that says that they have evidence to convict him, but he is not acknowledging any responsibilities of these killings. The fuck? Yeah. How can you... I I don't understand that. Like, to me, it's like, why, why is that even an option? Right? Like, if you have enough evidence to convince, convict somebody, why, why allow for them to have a power move and say, well, yeah, they have the evidence, but I didn't do it. It's like, well, then who fucking did Sherlock? Like, then provide a name, give us some tip, like, help us out. Because if you didn't do it, someone sure as fuck did. But hey, we have all this evidence pointing to you. It's like tell asking a kid who ate all the peanut butter when there's peanut butter all over his fucking mouth, right? <laughs> and I'm saying that realizing that before we recorded, I told you that there's peanut butter on my sweater. So I am the child. And yes, oh I, did, Alex, I did finish the- fucking hysterical. The 
I finished the tub of peanut butter. Hell yes. So I am here it for was that. Me. Was it good? It was me. I mean, I made peanut butter cookies. They burnt a little bit. I didn't say I was a, a baker. I just said. But were they I, good though? They, they're good. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd eat them. <laughs> well, I mean, that bark has got to be kind of low, right? You got to eat, right? It's very low. Right, yeah. Right. Girls got to eat. <laughs> oh, well, Jesus. Alex, I can't thank you enough for coming on this Aftermath episode. Do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here? Fuck this guy. That's all I have to say. <laughs> and the fact he's a Capricorn makes me upset because as a fellow Capricorn, I don't want him in our camp. But alas, he is. So fuck you, John. And for anybody out there who loves listening to Alex, I'm so fucking excited because Alex and I sat down and we actually talked for the Addicted series that's coming up. So definitely stay tuned for that. Alex goes more in depth into what she does for a living and talks about, you know, what it's like in Canada for, for addicts and for mental health. And so I can't thank you enough. I'm so, I love having you on. I could talk to you forever. You're fucking <laughs> awesome. You're hilarious. But Alex, <laughs> why don't you go ahead and plug your podcast? And then I got one question before we get out of here. All right. So weird distractions. Yes. Uh, you can find us every Sunday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Spotify, Apple, Good Pods, Podchaser, Google Podcasts. Uh, like I said before, we rotate between true crime, paranormal stories, conspiracy theories, folklore, urban legends. It's me and my friend Christy. We have a blast. You know, we we like to laugh, but we also like to talk about some serious things. So if that sounds up your alley, then definitely check us out. But thank you, Kevin, for having me on. This was this was great. Like I like I said before, never heard of this case. I feel so much, you know, like I've learned a lot, which is a huge part of who I am. I love learning. So thank you for teaching me about this case and opening my ears and eyes to it. And thank you just for being a good pod friend and having me on again, even though I Absolutely. tell really lame jokes and I yeah. could laugh at your jokes forever. So keep on telling Yay. lame ass jokes. Uh, but I'm actually kind of offended you guys have. Oh, just kidding. You and I did an episode for your podcast. Yeah. Which I will be releasing that soon. So okay. everybody who hasn't heard that on Alex's feed, that will be coming out soon this month. Uh, yes. But Alex, before we get out of here, I have one question. You mind answering? Yes. Okay. Oh, I hope it, I hope it's not math. Um, what but is okay, two yeah. plus three? No, I'm just kidding. It's oh, really not. It? <laughs> if you could be one sandwich condiment, what would you be? And oh why? fuck! I would have to say mayonnaise because I love mayonnaise, and I'm already fucking white as hell. So like, <laughs> I I feel like it just makes sense. Like it just, just makes sense. Straight mayonnaise. I love mayonnaise. I dip my fries in it. I put it on every sandwich. I fucking love that shit. So yeah. Mayonnaise it, it is. Mayonnaise it is. <laughs> well, for everyone else who doesn't like mayonnaise, because I don't, I'm in the camp that I doesn't like mayonnaise. That's fine. It is what it is. It's okay. So I've had Lindsay on a couple of times and mm. I asked her, I don't remember what a condiment was, but this, my backup question, which I'll ask you, okay. uh, does pineapple go on pizza? 
Yes. Ew, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? <laughs> well, I mean, in my defense, I'm Canadian. In Lynn's defense, she's basically Canadian because I think she's in Minnesota. So right. say that again. Yeah. Minnesota. Because <laughs> you have to say Minnesota with a Minnesota accent you or else what, what you why talking about? Yeah, what you're talking about, bud. Alex. Thanks again for coming on. I hope to God we get to do this again. It's always a blast having you on. And I hope you have a good night. You too. Thank you.